You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Episode 2. And today we're talking about how to create a business that excites you. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Samantha Riley, and I work with thought leaders and experts to help them double their income, their freedom, and their impact to create a business and a life they love. From my business background of 25 years, I've learned there are three key areas to growing a successful business. Your mindset, your talents, and the people you surround yourself with. Here in the Business Lab, we'll interview successful entrepreneurs and deep dive to discover the exact strategies that they have used to build their business so that you can experiment and implement these strategies in your business too. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Hey everyone, Samantha Riley here and today we're welcoming JP Sears to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. JP is an emotional healing coach, YouTuber, author, international teacher, speaker at events, curious student of life, and satirist best known for his popular YouTube channel. His work empowers people to live more meaningful lives, and his ultra-spiritual videos have accumulated over 100 million views. Welcome to the show, JP. Samantha, thank you for the welcome and I appreciate you having me on. I'm very excited to chat with you today and delve into what it is you do and your brand and everything else. But that was a super brief intro and I know there's a lot more to you and I'd love you to pull back the curtain a little and give us a sneak peek into who you are and what makes you tick. Yeah, you know, I'm a delusional person with red hair, blue eyes, uh, Ranga, as you lovely Aussies. <laughs> we do say Ranga, yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, I honestly, I think a, a very real dimension of who I am and what makes me tick is I'm, I'm someone in search of himself. I'm always looking to grow into who I am to deeper levels than I already have. So, I'm stumbling along in life doing my best to uh, be true to myself and uh, uh, parts of my work are creating videos as you mentioned. I've been doing a fair bit of performing and speaking at um, different events. Got a book coming out. I've spent the past 15 years doing tons of one-on-one client work with emotional healing and uh, honestly so you may, I love the part about what makes me tick. Here's mm, what makes me mm. tick. A couple things, actually. One, connecting to something beyond myself. And creativity is one of the ways I do that, maybe the most uh, prominent way. Because I, I think creativity comes from a source beyond the human self. And uh, that kind of connection is just, it's very important to me. And Another component of my life that makes me tick is exploring mystery, moving out of my comfort zone, going into unfamiliar territory that's thrilling, exciting, scary, and also makes life pretty meaningful. Mm. And I, I would also say connecting with people is another talk that makes my clock of self tick. Awesome. I love it that you said that you're just, I can't remember the exact words, but, you know, bumbling along and just doing life. It was just yesterday that my partner and I were having a bit of a giggle saying that, you know, wouldn't it be so much easier if we were born with an instruction manual? Because (laughs) we're all just bumbling along, right? 
Yeah, I think the the bad news is, yes, it would be easier. However, I think it would be less meaningful yeah. if we were born with instruction manual. To me, it'd be like going to see a new movie and you've already been told the ending. Mm. Uh, it, it would be easier to comprehend what's going on in the movie. It would give us a sense of control throughout the whole movie, but it would be less meaningful. Mm. The mysterious intrigue about our life, we're born without the instruction manual, which, which makes it mysteriously intriguing to me. I think that's exactly what gives us the potential to find meaning in life. I think meaning is always proportional to mystery. Mm, I love that. I love it. So before we get into um, talking about a whole heap of things that I'd love to touch on, I'd love you to share with us, what's your business right now and who do you serve? Yeah, my business right now, there's a few different components of it. So I've got a a book coming out. Uh, Right now we're in pre-launch phase. So book promotion, I mean, the book is right now a priority aspect of the business. It's called How to Be Ultra Spiritual, mm-hmm. written entirely from my comedic uh, perspective. Uh, other components of my business, I work with uh, companies, sponsorships, and doing essentially promoting their products, having them integrated into some of my videos and endorsing products that I feel deeply congruent with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel very blessed that that's been able to become a part of my business. It mm-hmm. really is a thrill. Making videos is a very important part of my business. I've been doing a lot of speaking and performing. That's that's part of my business. You can tell this isn't a straightforward business anymore. Whose business is straightforward, really? Exactly. <laughs> I've got a you know merchandise line of ultra spiritual t-shirts. Uh, and, and a couple other projects that are in the works, a TV show, we'll see what happens with that. It might become something, might become absolutely nothing. So, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a very uh, multifaceted business that I've stumbled my way into. Mm-hmm. And I would dare say it's a, it's a thrill to have this kind of diversity that all has the common theme of in my opinion, helping people as well as creativity. Yeah. I love it that you are able to help people through something that makes people laugh. And I know that we had this little chat before we started recording in that by you bringing humor into the truth, people are more likely to listen to the message. And yeah. and I love that you've been able to do that. I'd love to go back and, and touch on... What was happening in your world before you, I don't know, stumbled, acknowledged, uncovered the the ultra-spiritual life parody journey? Uh, and you were a Czech practitioner, I believe. And yeah. the thing I love about Czech practitioners is they're very passionate, but they're also the only people in the world that understand who Czech practitioners actually are. No one else <laughs> really knows what a Czech practitioner is. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so would you like to tell us a little bit about, about what you were doing back then when that was there, when there was no ultra spiritual life on the cards? Yeah, well, the Czech practitioner part, uh, at the tender age of 20, I became a Czech practitioner, started studying with Paul Czech. And then, uh, let's see, a few years later, I started teaching courses for the Czech Institute. I actually moved out to San Diego where it's located. And 
uh, started my client practice there and spent seven years uh, teaching their courses as one component of what I did. And um, yeah, by the way, so grateful for everything that that gave me. And and, uh, I think with the check practitioner thing, you mentioned like nobody other than check practitioners know what it is. I also, I would go a step beyond that and say what a check practitioner is can vary tremendously from one check practitioner to another, as well as someone's level of training within the check practitionership. And so the term check practitioner, even if someone's familiar with a term, it can still be pretty ambiguous because a lot of people work from many different angles under the umbrella of check practitioner. So you can have people who are pretty much straight up physical physiotherapists Mm -hmm. to people who are principally looking like they're a nutritionist to people who are like holding crystals over other people doing energy (laughs) healing. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So I I think it's well deserved to ask each individual check practitioner who's around you, like, what do you do? Mm, (laughs) What's mm, all this mean mm. to you? For me in my early 20s, I used a lot of exercise and nutrition working with people and then pretty quickly got very intrigued and excited about the emotional healing components of holistic health. And really, you know, my passion for that had me slowly, progressively evaporate my work in the exercise and nutrition realm. I still I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't the passion of my heart. I had to follow okay, going into the emotional healing realm. So anyway, long story short here, I've only been doing the comedy videos, the ultra spiritual stuff for about two years. So leading up to that, uh, you know, fast forward a, a decade or so from becoming a Czech practitioner, how my life looked, I had, uh, I was going around leading retreats, teaching workshops on emotional healing, self-growth, spending most of my time in my one-on-one client practice of emotional healing, working with most of those clients via Skype. So, uh, and I, I had also been doing videos for about a year and a half before the ultra spiritual videos started, but they were videos of just sincere, straightforward life advice. So those were, you know, making videos, teaching classes, retreats, and working with clients was pretty much what my life looked like. And because I'm a workaholic, that's pretty much all my life looked mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. I love that. And on a little side note, it is early in the year if people are looking to get into more healthy practices, then I would thoroughly recommend looking up a Czech practitioner. I think they're, they're amazing people. And I was so, so blessed a few years ago to be on retreat with Paul Czech himself. And he literally changed my life. And I did a big U-turn um, in my life after meeting him. So what he teaches is fabulous. And yeah, just love it. So, so that was a little side note there. <laughs> and a great side note too. And by the way, I'm on that bandwagon as well. I can say with a lot of confidence, my experience of Paul Check changed my life as mm. well. When I was 20 years old, I, he happened to be teaching the first class that uh, I took to become a Czech practitioner level one. And he, he and I had a, a very deep connection mm. right off the bat, even though we had never met. And seeing the way he believed in me, yep. like there was 
I came with zero credentials, zero experience, yet he saw something in me and I saw him seeing something in me. So I started, you know, he would say these amazing things about me that I didn't believe, but I believed he believed them. And that that essentially helped train me to believe in myself in a huge way. So I I really I mean the what I would judge to be the the great things I do sharing my gifts with the world it wouldn't be possible if I didn't believe in myself and believing in my for any of us believing in ourselves I think it's easier said than done it sounds great yet it is a struggle of a journey mm. to get to a place of believing in ourselves and I think it is that a journey not a destination I think we can all grow into believing and honoring ourselves more, yet I definitely have to bow down in gratitude as you are to uh, the life-changing experience I had with Paul Chuck as well. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I actually got a little tear because that was exactly the um, what happened. A few tears. Um, what happened with me, you know, it was a very difficult time in my life. And, you know, he would just walk up to me all the time. Every couple of hours, he'd just walk behind me and go, you've got this. And it would, I would just be getting a plate of dinner, chatting with friends, and he would just whisper in my ear, you've got this. And I'm like, wow, oh, how does he know? Beautiful. He's just, yeah, such such an amazing man with yeah. such heart and agreed that, you know, if, if you're not lucky enough like JP and I to know Paul Check, it's how important is it to find that person that believes in you, that has your back? Because like you say, it is a journey and it does continue on and on and on and and even sometimes when you think, ah, oh, totally got this and, and something can sideswipe you and you, you start to doubt yourself again. So it's very, For very sure. important to have those people around you that, that do believe in you, that do have your back and do support you and, and also kick you up the butt when you need it too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I think, you know, ultimately the people, the person who we ultimately need to believe in us is ourself. However, very few of us spill out of childhood having really learned and embodying what it is uh, to believe in ourselves. So I think a lot of us, you know, are in our adulthood looking to learn it for mm. the first time. And if we look at how children learn, you know, children learn by essentially mimicking. You know, they they always look at their parents. They develop their sense of self, seeing how the parent sees them. So they need things modeled for them. And I think why it's interesting to see how children learn is it teaches us how we learn. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, whether it's a mentor, a friend, uh, a romantic partner, a teacher, it can come in any shape or size. But do we need someone who believes in us? Yes, because it's important so that we can then learn how to believe in ourselves, mm. seeing them believe in us. And I think some of us uh, have a dysfunctional pattern of disconnection in our lives mm -hmm. that we justify with a noble sounding label called self-sufficiency. We say, no, I don't need other people to believe in me because I do that myself. Mm. And to me, that is a justification for our disconnection. We're all codependent creatures. Welcome to humankind. <laughs> yes, there's this beautiful thing called interdependence. Ultimately, I think the North Star we're all shooting for is for us to get our emotional needs met, psychological needs met within mm -hmm. and 
I've never met a person who's completely there. Mm. I think there's a reason why the design team put more than one human being on this earth. And I think it's because we need each other. And I think it's absolutely okay to need each other. Can that be taken out of balance into dysfunctional codependence? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet, do we still need each other? Absolutely. Can it be taken out in the other direction, the other extreme of disconnection justified through self-sufficiency? Absolutely. But looking for the middle ground, yes, we do need people. And yes, we need ourselves. Mm. in my opinion. I'll get off my soapbox now, Samantha. I think oh, I, no, I, no. Stay on your soapbox. So I was loving enough. it. I was here having my own little coaching session going, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that I, I totally agree and it, it's funny and it's actually not funny. I don't know why I said that. I love it that you brought up the, the self-sufficiency because a lot of people talk about the codependency but the self-sufficiency is like the absolute pendulum swing of that and, and I haven't actually heard anyone mention that before and it's certainly something that when I met my partner because I'd been codependent, I'd swung completely back the other way and, you know, he'd go to help me. I'm like, oh. Leave it alone. I don't need you to help her. And he, and yeah. I, hats off to him. He just constantly went, I know, I know you've got this, but I'd just love to help. And, and it's taken him a couple of years, but, but he's softened me and, and it is nice. <laughs> All right. So you were in a space in the, the health and wellness in space. At that time, were you, did you have your own business or were you working as an employee for the Czech Institute? Yeah, I've always, it's always been my own business. Uh, when I, when I would teach classes for the Czech Institute, I'd just be an independent contractor and, you know, one of their faculty that say, can you teach this class in New York City on this date? And yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll go do that. So yeah, I've always been, uh, you know, kind of a true entrepreneur of working for myself. I think the only quote unquote real job I've had working for someone else would have been when I was uh, 18 and 19. I worked just the front counter of the local gym. So yes, aside from that experience, it's always been for the better or worse working for myself. I'd like to think better been in a job (laughs) since I was 19 either. I would pity anyone that had to tell me what to do. But moving (laughs) on... I'd love to talk about the transition from working in that health and wellness space to where you are now, because I'm assuming that you didn't just decide one day, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm Um, going to start a YouTube channel tomorrow and you just, you know, stepped from one to the other. Are you able to take us on that transition of, you know, how it even came into your thoughts and, and how that played out? Yeah, yeah, the transition, it's been, well, just that, a transition. It's not just like woke, woke up one day and completely change how I function in my mm-hmm. career. And, and I will say to be as real as I can, the change, they've all, the changes have always been scary. They really have, because I, I, it's weird, like, and from my point of view, what serves us really well will eventually disserve us. Mm -hmm. So it's really weird to like have this thing, you know, one of my things like uh, at some point was like, okay, working with clients via exercise, I just knew it's time to let that go. But it's this weird feeling and fearful as well, because that served me well. Mm -hmm. So I'm being asked by kind of my inner guidance system to let go of this thing that served me 
because it no longer serves me. It's like holding on to a life jacket that it's not, now it's waterlogged. It's not buoyant. It's pulling you under because it's just time for you to move on to what's next. So there's always been that fear and, you know, letting go of the exercise clients, like, okay, that's scary. Mm -hmm. One, letting go of the familiar and two, like, can I make a living Mm. just doing emotional healing work? Like, ooh, that's scary. And then when I, when I was in that transition for the first, I don't know, few years of doing predominantly just emotional healing work, I was still running my practice out of the Czech Institute, uh, renting space there, which was a ridiculously terrible business move because I'm just talking to people on Skype, which I could be doing from my home for mm. free yes. like I do now. But I was paying a, you know, a, a relatively sizable monthly rent to be there because you know, I, I wanted the, the comfort of the familiarity of mm-hmm. denying change, staying with the familiar. So then one of the transitions was like, okay, I'm going to let go of being physically at the Czech Institute and work from home. Very, very scary. And liberation follows, growth and expansion follows. And then not too long after that, you know, after seven years of teaching for the Czech Institute, I just knew it's time for me to resign from the faculty. It's scary because it's a great thing. Mm. I mean, it's it's easy as hell to leave bad situations. So well said. It's hard as hell to leave great situations that are no longer aligned with our inner compass. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's It's so hard to come to terms with that, at least it has been for me, because it's like, I don't have a rational basis to say this is bad. Mm -hmm. I have a rational basis to say this is a good situation, yet there's just this feeling that's been persisting that says move on. Mm -hmm. So then the, the transition was resigning from the faculty. That was super scary, but growth and expansion followed. And then, you know, part of that was you got just more into teaching my own classes, started my YouTube channel. And then a transition was, okay, I've been doing my YouTube videos and I've had this urge to express my perspective through the language of humor with comedy videos, even though I think that'd be bad for business. And it's a scary change. Uh, I'll do it. And I'm willing to feel the discomfort. So which, which means I'm doing it rather than just being afraid to feel the fear of doing something new. Mm-hmm. So then I started to do the comedy videos and that was a change and growth and expansion followed. So it's interesting when I notice the pattern of saying yes to the scary things, yes to the things that I think will be sometimes even bad for business. You know, will, will I be able to make a living after this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm growth and expansion follows. It's just pretty interesting to see that pattern, uh, at least that's been um, happening in my career. Yeah, and growth and expansion doesn't always mean something positive, that sometimes we need to go through um, something that hasn't worked very well or what we think is a failure, which is actually part of the learning and part of the journey. So i just like to add that growth and expansion doesn't always mean everything's going to work out in your mind of, oh, this is just going to be perfect. <laughs> yeah. What I heard you say is doesn't necessarily work out the way we want it to work yes, out. Yeah, However, yeah. does it ultimately work out in a way that gives us the lessons we need, even though we may not want them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and certainly sometimes in my experience, things work out in a way that 
it's graceful. And other times it's like, oh, crap, that didn't work. Mm. Now what? Mm, absolutely. But yeah, it, I, I love your note of realism. I really <laughs> respect that. Yeah, that, that's me. Most people that know me just know I always say it is it is. So you've had to really, I get, you've put yourself out in a big way. You know, you've had over a million, a hundred million online views. That's just massive. You know, if you imagined a hundred million people standing in front of you, that's just mind blowing. That's how many yeah. eyes have been on you. What did you personally have to work through to put yourself out there in that way? You know, people could have really judged and, and not taken on board what you were doing. Anything I think that's in that creative realm, we're really putting everything on the line because we're, we're being very open and vulnerable with who we are. So what did you have to For work sure. through to put yourself out there to be doing what you're doing, which is, you know, very different to anyone else that's done anything that's like that? Mm. Yeah, uh, I love the question, and I will do my best to be real and say uh, there's been struggles, mm -hmm. and I think still are. I don't want to pretend like I'm done and dusted and mm, high and mighty <laughs> and perfectly put together, not by any stretch, but as often as I can, reminding myself to be true to me and my creative spirit is... Uh, absolutely instrumental and be true to the message that wants to be expressed through me. Uh, that is kind of like in a way when I do that, it's I'm ignoring the heck out of the audience to be true to kind of like the inner light. And uh, there's certainly been some videos that I've put together where it's like, I'm going to put this together in a way that I think will get a lot of views. People will love it. And that's not being true to my creative mm. spirit. Being true to my creative spirit basically says, I don't know how many views this will get, uh, and I just need to not care mm -hmm. for a while while I'm in the creative process. And ironically, I think getting into that space for a while when I'm in the creative process of, I don't care if other people like this, I'm doing this in accordance with my creative spirit. Actually, I remember when I was making the, actually filming the first ultra spiritual video, my girlfriend at the time was behind the camera. And I remember literally saying to her, I don't care if anybody ever watches this. This is amusing the hell out of me. <laughs> and that, you know, I think I verbalized something. Yes, it was true for me. But I think there's a reason why I said those words out loud. And I think it's so that I would remember them. And I, I haven't forgot them. I think I'll always remember them because they're words that I need to continue being of service to really mm -hmm. amuse thyself, I think means I'm in a monogamous relationship with my creative spirit. Other things, <laughs> um, doing my best to not get overly attached to the praise and mm -hmm. the positive comments, because I think the degree that I start to value myself based on the praise is the exact degree that I'll devalue myself when negative comments come in. Mm -hmm. So do I go up a little bit when there's praise? Yep. Do I go down a little bit when there's criticism? Yep. But a little bit is a hell of a lot better than complete, you know, going way up when there's praise, way down when there's uh, criticism, those kind of swings, I don't think are sustainable. Mm. You know, I can't stay on a roller coaster that's going up and down 100 meters every second. That's too much for me. Uh, yeah. And uh, let's see. The uh, I love your question. It's a great question. And I'm curious 
what else can I throw at you to help answer the question? No, well, I think that you've touched on the major points there and, and something I was making notes while you were talking. I think a lot of what you were talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, was the biggest fear that you had was the fear of judgment, the fear of being judged with people are, are saying, you know, they're either praising you or they're criticizing you. Uh, and something that a friend, a very, very good friend and I were talking about last week because something had happened in my world, you know, we're being judged all the time. It's just part of life, right? And he said, Sam, it's okay to love them deeply, but you've got to hold them lightly. And I've actually put it up on my whiteboard now because like um, I really loved that because I do love people deeply, but get very caught up in holding them deeply as well, you know, and really yeah. attaching myself to the outcome or attaching myself to the judgment. Um, so I, I guess that's the, the message that I was hearing about around your story. Yeah, I think that's a, a beautiful reflection of the message. I think it probably says with more precision what I was trying to say. Just in a different way. My friend's very smart. He, he uh, often turns my blah into something very precise. So again, you know, surround yourself by the right people. Okay, so obviously you have built a rocking and a cracking personal brand and there are many parts to building that. You know, if we want to be more influential and especially in this world where we're so connected through social media, this is a great, you know, having an influential personal brand is a great avenue to get such a greater message out there. Yeah. This is going to be a huge question for you because you've done it so well. But if you were to choose three things which have had the greatest impact in the growth of your personal brand, what would they be? You know, uh, I... I don't know if there's three. I'll, I'll see if I can come up with three. There's way more than three. I understand there, that. Yeah. It, there's a they, lot. It's a machine. Well, and it's weird because part of me wants to say there's only one, but you're right. There's <laughs> a lot. But I think the biggest factor of my brand growing is truly being, well, truly being true to my creative spirit. I am not a strategy person. I want to throw up in my mouth anytime someone talks to me about strategies, mm -hmm. uh, especially with like, okay, how do I strategically grow my social media following? And my answer is I have no idea. And I'm already bored in this conversation. Let's yeah. talk about something else. And, and what I, you know, so is, I would definitely say I'm blessed to have a, a large social media following. And I haven't grown it through strategy. I've grown it through giving, giving value to people. Some of that value is creativity. Some of that value is insight. Some of it is connection. But nonetheless, giving value. And uh, there's uh, an American comedian actor named Steve Martin. And he, his, I think it's his autobiography. I haven't read the damn thing, but it's just, I know the title of it, which is Be So Good that they can't ignore you. Mm. There's, there's a lot of people who aren't trying to be good. They're trying to be just strategic and they're being ignored. They're getting lost in the dilution of 300 million other people trying to get noticed. So are, are strategies a good tool? I think so. Like I don't freaking use them, but I do think <laughs> they're a good tool but I think how we, we being kind of the culture, especially 
people with personal brands and businesses trying to build their social media presence. I think we've got the ratio backwards, ratio of strategy to giving value. And I I definitely want to challenge everybody listening to this to give more value, give more of your time, attention, presence, energy, focus, and productivity to giving value rather than strategy. Mm -hmm. Because when we're strategizing, how can I grow my social media following my business? That's not giving anything to people. It is very selfish and self-centered. Now, I think selfish and self-centered is awesome. You got to have some of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to realize, are we bleeding that all over the map? So I think a lot of people operate under the ratio of 80% focus on strategy, 20% focus on giving value. And I say, screw that. What if we reverse that? What if we go 80% give value and 20% of our focus time energy studies is on using strategies to distribute that value. You know, if there we have so so now I'm getting angry, Samantha. No, really I love angry, it. I love it. <laughs> the soapbox is out again. <laughs> we have people selling emptiness. Mm-hmm. You know, so I find so many Facebook marketing videos that pop up. And these Facebook marketing videos are videos, marketing courses that teach you how to make Facebook marketing videos. So there, there's nothing but strategy there. And is there a time and place for that? Yes. However, there's so much domination of that. Why? Because you can put a price tag on strategy. You can, here's strategies, price tag. Now I'll sell it as a course or whatever. And it's much easier to talk about. But when it comes to giving value, you can't put a price tag on it. It is an incredibly renewable resource. It's very sustainable and it's hard to capture. Just like air, it's hard to capture air and sell air. Why? Because it's everywhere. There is the potential for value to be everywhere. And I think because value itself, it's so hard for people to control and profit off of it gets forgotten about. However, I think when we remember it, it can actually make our business far more profitable because I do believe the more we genuinely give, the more we get, mm-hmm. the more we receive. And I'm not talking about using strategies to take under the guise of giving. I'm talking about genuinely giving. So Steve Martin's title of his autobiography, Be So Good, They Can't Ignore You. Mm-hmm. Let your greatness shine. Let your gifts come out. And I think you have to be willing to be so bad that they ridicule you in order to grow into being so good that they can't ignore you. Anybody who shines, they didn't come out of the birth canal all slimy and shiny. They came out of the birth canal slimy and not very good at anything. So any stand-up comedian, any actor, any musician, any video creator, any entrepreneur who is great, they were pretty crappy for a long time. But their willingness to express crappiness (laughs) allowed them to refine their skills to get really good. Mm, mm. I think a willingness to feel the fears, the rejection, the, I'm not good enough, when we're awkwardly expressing what we're trying to get good at, I think that willingness is essential if we ever want to become so good that they can't ignore us. And what are we being good at? Giving value, expressing Mm -hmm. our unique gifts. So long story short, I'm pretty opinionated. Basically, the, the completion of my rant was I am of the opinion that 
the best way to grow a social media following, grow your brand, make it profitable, and being of service to humanity is to give value. I'd love to touch on that a little bit before we go on to the second, the second item because you have separated the strategy and the value, which I find really intriguing because there's so many business coaches or so many marketers out there saying you only give value by, you know, oh, let me rephrase that. Get on a Facebook Live. You don't just get on there to, to have a chat. You're, you're on there to give value. But what they're doing is saying that the value is the tips, you know, the five secrets to or the three secrets of this, which you're saying, well, that, yes, it is valuable, but it's also strategic and that sometimes value might be making people laugh or it might be making people think about something. And it's not necessarily, you know, the strategy isn't always just the value. I know that there's a lot of people that um, in my world that have been telling me just recently, you know, you only use Facebook for business, but they're seeing that as, you know, just the, the business items where you're using your Facebook for business, but it, it's funny and it's humorous and it's engaging and, it you know, it's all of those things. So what I'm hearing is it needs to be valuable for you and your tribe, not necessarily under what someone else is saying is valuable. Absolutely. I think value comes in many shapes and sizes and I don't think it's anybody's business to tell us what our value is to give. Um, I mean, if I I sat around and waited for someone to tell me, JP, uh, sharing your comedic perspective is value you can give to the world, I'd still be waiting. Uh, and, And hell, I didn't even know it was value I could share until I started sharing it. And I started reckoning, oh, wow, this is actually pretty valuable. I'm Mm. glad I'm doing this. So absolutely, we, you know, my, my invitation for people is be careful about having a very small box of what you consider value. And I think uh, sometimes we need to, and I'll certainly speak for myself, I need to broaden my mind. When I look at the spheres of people who I'm around, you know, uh, a lot of times the value we give, it's relatively similar. I mean, like-minded people are typically the ones I'm hanging around with. So we're all doing our thing in our own way, but we're, we have similar expressions of value. So I think doing a pattern interrupt just to get new synaptic connections in our brain firing can be great. We're different times here in the past um, little while, I've gone to different conferences, been hired to go speak and perform there. And some of the conferences are like, completely outside of what I would call my industry. And I'm like, wow, this is really invigorating being here. I'm probably not going to like adopt, you know, giving value the way these people do it. But I like how it's, it's broadening my scope of what is valuable. Mm, I love that. It's up to no one else to tell us our value. I'm going to add mm. that to my whiteboard. Thank you so much. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Here's the whiteboard. Yes. <laughs> so that's, so we've, we've, dived deep into that into that first point what would your second point be oh jesus yeah i got pretty lost <laughs> in that first one <laughs> we, we we dived I, deep and went swimming for a while <laughs> so obviously you can tell i was like really hung up and i really value the first one of mm. giving value um you know i would say uh, regularly connecting to my audience has been important 
And sometimes I can take the form of getting to as many personal messages as I can. Uh, Regrettably, I can't possibly get to them all. But responding to responding to comments, uh, personal messages, uh, I think is very meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I can't explain it, but that just seems meaningful. And then the the consistent connection, another form of that is putting valuable content out regularly. Mm-hmm. And uh, a little side note on that, I see, you know, some some Facebook pages, I just talk Facebook mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. specifically for a second, Actually, just yesterday, I was looking at one that's got like 3 million fans. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's a big Facebook following. And then I'm looking at the engagement of their posts. And it's like 24 likes, maybe 60 likes, which is there's some kind of disconnect. Yes, You've got 3 million fans and your average post is getting like 40 likes. What's the deal? Mm. And then I look further and this is the sort of... Facebook page that has adopted this strategy of put up one new post every hour or two hours, but something like so regularly. And then I look deeper and it's like, I think what this message is actually telling me is their fans don't value what they're being given. In other Mm -hmm. words, this Facebook page, the brand is strategizing, not giving Mm -hmm. value. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if the fans saw the post as valuable, you'd, 3 million fans, you'd be getting, uh, it should be at least a thousand likes per post. You'd be getting a lot of commenting engagement, but uh, they're not connecting to their fans regularly in a valuable way. Yes. I think the over strategizing is the illusion of connection, but I think it ultimately is creating disconnection mm-hmm. because I know Facebook pages where it's like, okay, I, I liked the page for whatever reason in the beginning, and now they're just curating crap. Yep. It's like, I, I, I'm not interested in a curator. Uh, and I, this is purely my personal bias. Mm-hmm, if I was mm-hmm. right now, I'd recommend shutting your ears because I'm just ranting about my personal <laughs> bias. But yeah, I, I give me value. Don't curate crap. Don't curate other people's value. Uh, honestly, I think it's over. There is value in curating other people's value, other people's content. But there is so much of that because mm-hmm. I think people are... Um, I don't know. I think people are really unwilling to dive deep into themselves to find their value Mm. and then come back to the surface of the world and say, here is this. We're all brilliant. What's left is for us to learn to fully believe it. Mm. That rant wasn't quite as long as the first, so we're doing good. (laughs) We're doing well on the third thing. (laughs) And, you know, I think the third uh, component of growing my social media, I would say now this is starting to smell a little bit strategic for me, is respecting the native landscape of different social media platforms. Yeah. So what is a valuable way of connecting on Instagram can be... Uh, a disconnecting force that's not valuable on Facebook or Twitter. And a little bit of my case study as a point, before I learned to really respect putting content out in a way that's like Instagram-ish on Instagram, Facebook-ish and mm-hmm. Facebook, I was trying to be a YouTube purist. And by that meaning, like I would only post my videos to YouTube I would share the YouTube link on Facebook, 
Why? Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to be a YouTube purist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't respecting the native culture of Facebook. So after enough of my friends and colleagues had been telling me for long enough, I finally started to listen and began uploading my videos directly to Facebook rather than just having the YouTube link posted mm -hmm. on Facebook. And holy cow, that worked for me. Yeah. I think, you know, I started doing that in regularly uh, May of last year. So May of 2016. And at the time, I believe I had 60,000 Facebook followers. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's pretty awesome. And now after, I guess it's been six, seven months of posting natively to Facebook, uh, my Facebook followers are just about 1.2 million. And the YouTube purist part of me thought, well, that's going to hurt my YouTube channel. No, no, no. It's helped my YouTube channel grow big time. Mm. You know, back in May, I think my YouTube following was maybe, I don't know, maybe 120,000. And it's multiplied to about 365,000 or so now. So respecting the native social media platform is uh, something I think it's worked for me to abide by. And I definitely invite people to consider that as well. Yeah, I think that's great advice. JP, thank you so much for sharing all your value with us today. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Dive deep, get on soapboxes, uh, go, <laughs> go swimming. <laughs> um, I would say what is the best way for my listeners to stay connected with you? I love that question. Uh, best place to find me is uh, uh, any of the social media platforms, Awaken with JP. That's my call sign for any of them. I've also got my website, awakenwithjp.com, if you want to do website kind of things. And also, those are good places to avoid me if you find me offensive. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for embracing the the brand of you, bringing ultra-spiritual life into into my life and into so many lives. It gives me a lot of giggles and, and I love the realness of it and I just really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing uh, your your wisdom, your humor and everything else that you've shared with us today. Oh, you're incredibly welcome, uh, Samantha. And I appreciate you being weird enough to invite me on your show <laughs> and my experience of you is you're an absolute delight to talk with. Thank you so much. Do you want to grow and scale your business so you can make an even bigger impact? One of the reasons I've been able to achieve the success I have over the years can be attributed to one simple factor, surrounding myself with like-minded people, people who think big like me, who have a desire for growth and who understand the challenges we face when growing and scaling a business. That's why I've created a free community, especially for thought leaders and experts just like you, and I'd love you to join us. Just request access to my free Facebook group at Thought Leaders Inner Circle. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love you to share this on your favorite social account. Just head to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast, click on your favorite episode and you'll see the buttons right there to share the love. And as this show is new, I would love, love, love you to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab.